coming up on Mount Hermeneutics, the Watchers, angels, demons, Nephilim, mythology, lore. We're going to try to tackle all of that. So keep it right here. I feel like you overpromised a bit, but bro, I know five fat people, and Michael Moore's four of those five. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and he ate the other one. Yeah. Again, the movie director, Michael Moore, not you, Dad. Yeah. Um, I feel like you overpromised a bit, but. <laughs> Listening to Mount Hermeneutics, where three Marines give their perspective on God, faith, and spirituality with a heavy lean on the Divine Council worldview. This is not your grandma's Sunday school, nor is it always for the Christian faint of heart. Nothing about who we are or what we say make us experts, but you better believe we'll have a take, and perhaps it won't suck. All right. So, what did you guys do this week? What did I do? Um, did some uh, did some deep sea fishing. Did you catch anything? Did you catch a leviathan? Caught a caught an orca. Had some orca steaks afterwards. Uh, speared them. We, we did it with snorkels and I, I forgot and about all the deep sea fishing in Oklahoma. Well, you know, we have airplanes. It was yeah, a road yeah. trip. It was a my, road trip. My San Diego sensitivities are. <laughs> offended right <laughs> so, and uh and my uh, wife's affinity for orcas is, is also uh, offended you she, 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 she also likes to eat orca no, she, she <laughs> likes to hug them she's they, an orca uh, hugger they eat baby seals they, they, they do they tear them apart while they're alive they kill things for fun yeah they, they are mean right like they is, is it because they're so intelligent and they're just maybe they're Nephilim? Dolphins are pretty mean too. Dolphins like to rape. That's a that's the word. Yeah. Like they're not uh they're you know, sometimes they're nice to humans, sometimes they're they're rapey. They're... Like in like in the boys, when, when my man's like talking to the dolphin, he's like, hey, no, come on, man. I'm <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. And the yeah. same with the octopus. The octopus was a little rapey too. And that, that was that, that was a little that was a little yes. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry I brought that up. It's, it's, a, little, it's a, little, <laughs> a little suspect. It's just it's just uh that's that's on me. My bad. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh I went to LA this weekend. Um had to do some preliminary stuff as I'll be I'll be playing in the Academy Awards uh in a couple of weeks. So did you did yeah, you did you did you like accidentally find your razor blade or something yeah yeah i had to do that for uh because i'm supposed to be clean shaven for the event and i had to take the credentials so actually i wasn't going to be completely clean shaven but then when i was shaping it up i screwed it up so i had to oh like, you're gonna do the mustache or whatever and then you yeah it was gonna you be went too high on yeah, one side you started something chasing. yep and then i was then it was i'm like <laughs> goodbye during the was, pandemic i tried to cut my own hair and wound up uh in a similar situation it's no good. Yeah. Lousy, lousy, no good. I was bald for a little while. Which, you know, if you got the head, you know, it's not that lousy. There's a market for it. I mean, it's <laughs> that's what I hear. Anyway, that's what guys that are bald tell themselves. 
So I was in uh, Savannah, Georgia this week, had a, a business trip and, uh, my, uh, my boss recommended I bring my wife along because we'd never be, we'd never been to Savannah. So we went and it was an interesting experience. It's an interesting city. It's, I recommend everybody should see it once. Um, I bet it's really hot in the summer. Um, so it was not hot. It was nice. Um, other than that, uh, wasn't feeling great. I think I flew around the world and gave everybody Ebola. Um, so if you, if you got Ebola from me, my bad. Um, the trip had to happen. It was really important. And I was uh, wondering why I was bleeding out of my eyes yesterday. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's that was me. That's on me. <laughs> Look, right on, man. I Thanks. Apologize. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, at least you know, had it now you don't have to worry about that again you're probably ebola is a one-time thing i'm 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 sure i'm sure pfizer's got something they can stick me with maybe astrazeneca probably i'm sure and i'm sure it wouldn't be worse than the actual disease too right yeah sure of that i am sure of that ask the red cross yeah i don't don't know about that one um but (laughs) but yeah so that was that was my my week weekend. Like, I mean, was, I just got home on Sunday night. So we just got home, uh, back to work today. So yeah, that was, that was that. But, uh, other than reading the book that got me kind of thinking about what we, we were just talking about, that was, that was about it. But mm-hmm. it, it brought up a lot of thoughts and questions. Like one of the things in the book where Dre, you'll get a kick out of this. They, it references the Anunnaki also. Mm. So it talks about, you know, this ruling party of demigods, uh, watchers, fallen watchers, et cetera, and how the, these these ones were this, and they kind of categorize them. And it kind of starts, it's funny because it almost does what my head did immediately the first time I really started crystallizing the thoughts around the divine council and the idea of Elohim existing and all that. I'm like, wait a minute. So if that's real, that this over here draws some parallel lines and my brain starts, I start looking like that meme with the chick and all the, all the geometry symbols and the advanced math floating in front of her kind of thing. And I'm like, there's a whole lot of possibilities all of a sudden. (laughs) And that was, that was kind of what made me, when we were talking about, you know, what to do on a show. And I was like, you know, we could talk about uh, the mythology around um, the Bible and, and all of the things that are, that are brought into it because it, it, it strikes me that even in the conversations we've had, we've talked about, you know, some of the language that's used and some of the naming conventions and some of the implied understandings about things and some of that mythology is necessary in order to rightly understand what some of the intention in some of the biblical scripture is, if that makes sense. And like one of the one of the points was it was in the back of this book where this author, Brian Gadawa, and Brian, if I'm saying your last name wrong, I'm sorry. Um, I'll tag you in this episode, so maybe you'll see the show. Um, but he was talking about it's the section in his appendix where he's talking about the sons of God and he's kind of explaining, justifying, you know, making the, making the case, if you will, for why Genesis six or Psalms 82 is talking about Elohim and not about humans. And he's referencing 
Uh, let's see if I can find it quickly. He's referencing a verse where God says, um, I have no one beside me. I don't remember the exact quote, so if I can find it quickly, hopefully I can. Um, Isaiah 49, probably. What's what's the quote? Uh, there is no God beside me, no, not one. Yeah, yeah, that one. That there's two other references in the Bible where other people make a similar statement. It was kings and emperors that they made the same kind of statements. And the point that this guy's making is that um, that wasn't God creating that language, that God was really quoting language that was common to the time, because that was a phrase that people would say to say, I'm better than my peers, or I'm better than these other things that aren't quite as good as me, which which is a way to say that God wouldn't have said that if there weren't other Elohim that he was, he was attempting to clearly um, distance himself from which I thought was reasonable and made sense. Isaiah 40 was the reference I Thanks. was thinking of. And I don't know why. I thought it was right here. I thought I had it dog-eared, so I apologize for not having it um, in a way that was useful for this show because I was moving around. I must have bumped my book and knocked, a, knocked the uh, bookmark out of the way. It's not very useful for this for this show. But anyway, <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was, you know, one of the interesting points where to understanding that some of the writing in the Bible was done to make use of modern phraseology or modern language versus it being created specifically for the point that was trying to be made. And I think we, we mentioned that kind of in our early episodes, how, you know, it, the, the, the Bible was written for the time and for the audience that was reading it. And though, you know, it was, it was, it was written for us, but not necessarily to us. It was written to the people that would have been, been reading it and, and they would have understood those references readily. Uh, unlike us who have to try to contemplate what that means and sometimes get it wrong because of, because of the, our current world lens that we, right. we look at things through. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ancient idioms in the Bible that that we sort of we just kind of read it literally without without understanding the baggage there, um, and we kind of project our own our understanding onto it. Um, like a lot of the the flat Earth stuff, like it's uh, um, you know they assume the Earth was flat, so it's written within that worldview, but it's it's not but the point the point of the text is not that it's sorry right at my yeah no I, right, yeah right. that's i think that's exactly it. It, it the first time i heard heiser make that statement that this wasn't meant to be a science book right it kind of helps ease some of that but i think also we were talking about earlier it goes back to you know what does inerrancy mean Right. And I think that's one of those things that trips people up. I'm, I, uh, my brother had called me out of the blue and was like, Hey, you guys need to talk about flat earth. And I was like, why? <laughs> and he was mentioning <laughs> that, you know, the stuff in Genesis about the firmament and all of that. He was like, you know, it's there. It's kind of hard to ignore it. And I was like, well, that depends on, you know, how you, you the first step is you've got to be willing to let go of some of these literal word for word things being requirement in order to to believe in the broad the broader story of what's going on in the bible and he's like 
what you talk about Willis, <laughs> right? And it, and it really kind of started that whole conversation where, um, if you, if you go into the Bible expecting to read it cover to cover and every single word is literally accurate, you're going to have a bad day because you're going to have a really hard time reconciling some of this stuff. Um, but if you go into it, reading it from cover to cover from a perspective of, I want to read this to understand the broad messages and then start understanding and digging into the deeper messages and that that overall message is literally correct. There's a whole different, it's a whole different way to read the Bible. And I think yeah, that, and, go ahead. And when you read it in that context and uh, like it, one, you're able to understand what it's, what it's saying. And you're first and foremost, you're able to understand what it's saying. But secondly, you understand that it, it is a lot of, it's not meant to be literal. Um, like, um, like the Genesis, Genesis one, it taught, if you, if you read that on its own and insist that everything there is absolute literal truth, you wind up being, a, a believing the earth is flat and was created in six literal 24 hour days. Actually, you don't even get that if you pay close attention to the text, but you, I'm like, you, I mean, when does it say that day was 24 hours? When well, does it say that? Yeah, that's that's kind of why I corrected myself. Um, and in fact, if you read the text, it precludes that because there was no he's he separated light from darkness to create day and night before this he created the sun, moon, and stars. So there was no to be for signs and seasons and years. So there was no this idea of the earth rotating and the the sun coming up in 24 hour cycles that wasn't that wasn't possible until day four, um, according to the text. And it also leaves you believing that uh, plant life existed prior to the sun, which even ancient people understood that's not that that's not possible because they understood what happened in the winter when there's less sunlight. Um, all, all the plants die. Um, but if you read that in the context of other ancient Near Eastern literature, like it's like the, the creation stories are typically <clears throat> the the very oldest creation stories are always about uh the sky god and the earth goddess they they come together and from their union these these other deities are born and those deities pair up and and birth other personified forces of nature um then at a later stage the the storm god typically gets promoted to the to the status of creator god because if they're if you're worshiping personified forces of nature and you believe that your your fortune and your well-being is dependent on placating them, there's only so much time in the worship calendar. So you're going to focus your efforts on the storm god. And that's kind of a recurring pattern across all ancient religion. And then he gets promoted to the status of creator god by doing epic battle with with some kind of chaos creature, a, a, a dragon typically. Um slaves or the dragon. Did was there some god that fought a dragon? Well, hold on, I'm I'm rounding my point here. Okay. Well, but what does our dragon represent in the ancient world? Yeah, whenever I mention like real like Atlantis as a real life thing, um, um, like you know, like the uh, the recap I, structure in Mauritania, uh, and Hancock's Atlantis. Right. People always think, oh, you. You're talking about mermaids and mermen and Aquaman, and some mariner and stuff. And 
Now, I'm not talking about an actual city that's operational under the ocean. I'm talking about a an ancient city that was flooded. <laughs> yeah, consumed, de- consumed by the water. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah. So I, it I saw my buddy Mike Poost uh on Saturday night and uh I mentioned Graham Hancock to him. He started banging his head on the table. <laughs> Why? Because he's like, man. And then because uh, his wife is really into the Anunnaki. It's hilarious. Uh, She's uh, like, I'm like, well, I mean, me too. Like, really? <laughs> I'm like, not really, but it's fun. <laughs> What's uh, and uh, and he's like, why are you getting here started? She's like, who? I'm like, Sinchin. And then he's like, you knew too much, and every time, like you kept you kept her going, and he's like, "Dre, why are you doing this?" <laughs> he's, I'm like, "What's your problem with Sinchin, man?" Other than he's been debunked one thousand times, and he's like, "My problem with Sinchin is if you're going to quote ancient Sumerian texts, and I don't have a problem with that because they have their own stories, but you should be able to fucking read Sumerian." Fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so if you can't read that text, don't comment on it. Okay, that's that's all I'm saying. Does that apply to the Bible too? Well, the Bible's been translated, right? Yeah, yeah, but I I actually so so there's a I don't remember if I shared the meme into our chat or not. Because I'm working on that, by the way. But but there was this meme that I saw, and it was like the Bible can't both be infallible, be inspired, and be translated. Because either the original text was inspired, which means a translation is just a reference to the original inspiration, or you're going to tell me that every translation was equally inspired as it was translated. And I was like, yeah. I don't... Uh, because you can't translate word for word. You have to make word changes. Interpretation. You have to you're, interpret you're interpreting some things. You have God's to make word, a yeah. point. And that point that translation as you're making the point is not inspired well the the question is is it is it the the message that's inspired or the medium that's inspired like there's nothing inspired right, which gets to the concept of infallibility right i saw where because because the way and, and this is my point the message of the bible is infallible the theology that's presented in the bible is infallible I'm 100% on board with that. The Bible is not word for word infallible. The Bible is not inerrant. The Bible is chock full of errors. The sum total of the Bible is inerrant. There's a difference between those two things. And when the average Christian has a starting position of the Bible is infallible and inerrant, and you must read it literally word for word, you're already set up for disappointment and failure. Yeah, and I, I think their, I think their, their epistemology is upside down to begin with. Um, yeah, and it just kind of a, yeah, like they, they start out reading it devotionally and like reading it as if, this is the word of God. God is saying this to me. There, therefore, everything in it is true, and you can't, you can't get there. You have to start out reading it. You have to read it critically and from a philosophically neutral position, investigate it, and then when you determine that it's historically reliable, then you conclude that it's divinely inspired. But you can't can't start out there. Right. I mean, I once, mean that's... once you've concluded that, then you can read it devotionally. I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong to read it devotionally. I'm saying it's wrong epistemologically to start with that. 
I, I was in a uh, the an, an apologetics thread, and there was a conversation somewhat to this point. And this other guy made a comment that I really liked. He said, um, I'm trying to see if I can find it real quick. That was weird. Um, basically, he said, um, he goes, he says, um, the Bible being inerrant in the way that I was talking about, um, YEC and ELT are some of the biggest reasons that that set people up to become atheists and leave Christianity. And I said, what's EL eternal living torture. Oh, eternal conscious torment. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Maybe it was ECT. Maybe that's what it was. And I transposed it in my head. Um, it was probably that. And then I said, I said, you, you forgot Calvinism. <laughs> he goes, Oh yeah, you're right. Good catch. Add that to my <laughs> list. <laughs> Does everyone hate Calvinism, bro. I not enough. Not enough. Because <laughs> uh, and the, the is... shit on Calvinism the other day, they made me laugh. What did he say? Uh, I'm trying to remember. He was and he did it using Trump's voice. <laughs> that's that's what stood out that's to me. I'm gonna funny. have to go back and check it out. <laughs> I want to like, hear Trump crapping on Calvinism. It's not it's not what I said, but you know it's 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 already predetermined that you're gonna lose, Nikki Haley. That's Calvinism joke for you. Like wow, mm. it's but, pretty fun. Yeah, I, I just I thought it was like I thought it was a funny exchange that this random the, guy in this apologetics made those comments, and I was like, add Calvinism, and I was waiting to see him come back and be like, actually, no, tulip is sound, and blah blah. Instead, he was like, Ugh. yeah, he was like, my man, good look it out. <laughs> the problem is, so many people are influenced by Calvinism, but don't consider themselves Calvinist. That's because they, they don't. The, because they don't because really it's so know what Calvinism with everything is. else. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But the, like they're like the thing that it, that we've been talking about about uh does regeneration precede faith or does faith precede regeneration? And you like you hear like talk, I you know I've had countless conversations with people who don't regard themselves as Calvinists who have the same disdain for it that we do, but then you talk about apologetics and evangelism and they'll they'll say oh well that's not it's not our job to convince people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Um, well, wait a minute. How, how does the Holy, where does the Bible say that for one thing? And two, how does the Holy Spirit convince them? And it's, it, they kind of appeal to this. It's just this, it's just this mystery that they appeal to. And that's just not, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible teaches that, uh, by example, at least that the Holy Spirit, it, he only acts in the world through people. He has to be embodied and that's where the church comes in, like this idea that to say it's not our job, it's the job of the Holy Spirit is to miss the point of the church. If it's the Holy right. Spirit's job, it is our job. Because Right. It's it's almost like abdicating responsibility of the word. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't got to do all that dirty work. That's that's for that disembodied dude to come behind me and do that. Hmm. And it and it it it's it speaks of faith as something that just sort of happens to someone like if you read every sermon in the new testament or in the entire bible um every prophet every apostle every preacher every sermon by jesus they are imploring people to respond to what they've heard brothers save yourselves from this corrupt generation peter says in uh, acts chapter 2 after he receives the holy spirit and tells them 
um, you know, the, he teaches them that, that Jesus is the Messiah because of the resurrection. The Israelites answer, your brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter says, repent, repent and be baptized and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. So you have to believe first and then you have the spirit to regenerate you. You don't get the spirit first in order to have faith, but people speak as if that's the case. And it, it, is it any wonder that Christianity is dying in the West when we're, you know, God has told us we have a job to do and we say, no, 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 that's God's job. We're going to, we're going to sit this up. We're just going to watch it happen. Um, so anyway, especially now that I know my ancestors fought fucking giants, we better get with the program, <laughs> right? It's like the I whole mean... old Testament is about us fighting giants. Like that's yeah. the whole war. Yeah. Like Joshua and the boys were like running around. Caleb, I'm not afraid. Let's go kill some giants. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? And and I think yeah. what makes it so cool is that is that it's uh they just mention it so casually. Yeah, then there was there was like giants. And then you know, we had like David like hit one and I cut his head off. And it was, you know, whatever. Like as if it was completely understood back then that there was giants That's... and everyone knew it. That's part of the part that I think is really crazy is it's like, they're like, oh yeah, you know, the giants and everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, the giants. It is like, they don't want to spend time talking about it because everybody knows and, and about it. We read it 5,000 years later. We're like, what the fuck? There was giants. <laughs> right. <laughs> whoa, 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 sorry, there was, what do you mean there was so, giants? What is it? What do you, whoa, 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 whoa. Half the fun of the book is just, it's stuff that, you know, isn't in existence anywhere. So it's all like net new story. Like, you know, Noah fighting the Leviathan, you know, that didn't happen in the Bible, but in this book it did. So it was fun to, to read about, but then it's like, how much of this is even actually biblically sound versus hundred percent made up? You know what I mean? Like, like they, they reference these, these past wars and that there was the, they, they what do they call it? The Titanomachy, Titanom, Titanomachy, Titanomachy. Yeah. yeah. The uh, war between the Olympia, the the Olympians and the Titans. That's what we know it as. But they keep referencing it as this war that happened back when the first uprising happened. And the angels and the fallen angels and giants were all fighting each other. So it's like mm -hmm. it, in this, there was two distinct wars. There was the Titanomachy and then there was another one. I forgot what it was called because I didn't bookmark it. And I was traveling and whatever while i was reading it but um but yeah it was it's it's pretty wild and then at the end of it the 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 three so there were four archangels that are mentioned in the book it was uriel michael uh, gabriel and who's the other one raphael raphael thank you raphael yeah. So Uriel was the first one that shows up, right? And he only shows up because he's the uh he's the guardian angel of Noah because Noah is decreed as being they call him the seed of man and he's going to be the the thing that allows God to to kill all the all the fallen watchers or to deal with it. It doesn't say kill. He's a messianic prototype. Right. And so because of that, Uriel is sent down to guard him and keep him from dying. So then at some point, Uri uh, Uriel has to blow his horn, and everybody's like, the hell did you do that for? And he's like, oh, I wasn't doing it for this. You guys will see what I just did. <laughs> and then the <laughs> other three archangels show up, and they just start. 
I mean, Uriel was a bad dude by himself, but three of them, and you know, Uriel's not the best of them. But uh, it, the whole corn pop. This story, yeah, this whole story is just. Um, it's really. I was surprised at how well done it was. To take something as as out there as you know the DCW stuff. I mean, this is literally a fan fiction novel of the DCW. That's what it is. Mm. So anybody that's listening that is intrigued in this DCW concept, the, the author is Brian Gadawa. And it's called uh, the Noah Noah Primeval. And then the next book is uh, Enoch Primeval. And then it, so it goes backwards and then it goes back forward. And then the last book in the series is, is Jesus. They got way up. Is the, like, is, is the last book out yeah the whole series is published and then he has another series called the there's an apocalypse series that he did um which i'm guessing is kind of like his version of the left behind um which if it's anything like these is going to be lit because <laughs> this is this is literally the 300 only biblical like there's yeah there's there's some there's some pretty uh pretty sick uh battle sequences in it. Nice. So I, I found uh, what I, I found the verse I was looking for real quick, Brian. It was um Deuteronomy uh thirty-two ver thirty-nine. Deuteronomy thirty-nine. God says, uh See now that I, even I am he, and there is no Elohim beside me. Right. And then okay. the point that this guy's referencing is, is that then in Isaiah 47, 8, uh, the power of Babylon says, I am, and there is no one beside me. And then in Zephariah 2, 15, um, the city of Nineveh, the leader boasted, I am, and there is no one else and the point is he calls this sloganeering is his language that this gotcha. author's using. And I'm quoting him now. And he says, uh, obviously they're not saying that there are no other powers or cities that exist beside them because they had to conquer other cities and rule over them. <laughs> and so the point is, is it was just the language that was being used and people, right. people will jump to that and go, see, there's no other the, Elohim. It's like the, the King said, I'm him. Right. He said, ain't nobody else. I'm the guy. Yeah, I'm the only one. Yeah, but, I'm him. But uh, I, I just thought that was an interesting point. Uh, the way in the way he describes a lot of this in the in the back end of this book, these these. Yeah. Uh, but but Brian, you were talking. About, I don't know if you were done with your with no, the I, chaos I was, monster. Yeah. Right. So in pagan mythology, you 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 have this intermediate stage where uh, the storm god slays the dragon. Like in Hinduism, you have the hymn of and the Vedas. You have Indra slaying Vitra. You have uh, Marduk slaying uh, Tiamat in uh, Babylonian mythology. Baal slaying Yom or Leviathan. Zeus slaying Typhon. Uh, Thor slaying uh, Jormungandr, the the Midgard serpent. And then from their carcass, fashioning the earth. And then and that's ha that's how the storm god is regarded as the creator god in the Bible. So when you read the Bible in that context, one, you have Genesis 1, where rather than doing battle or ha or having sex with another personified force of nature, 
God is above and beyond and transcends nature. He merely speaks it into existence. Nothing resists his will. So he just, he orders it according to his will. He speaks and it's done. There's no drama. There's no chaos to quell. There's no battle to be had. It's just he nature obeys him because it's uh, it's subservient to him and it's happy to do it. And at every stage, it is good. And at the end, it's very good. But then later on, you in the Psalms um, and in some of the prophets, you have reference to God slaying the Leviathan, um, which modern readers might might take to take literally that there was there was some demonic force or an actual dragon that God that God slayed at some point that's not specified elsewhere in the Bible. Well, no, it's 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 a polemic against that language about about Baal slaying Yom or Leviathan saying no god is the creator god is the one who who overcomes chaos um it has nothing to do with god fighting slaying a literal dragon it has to do with god overcoming what they regarded to be the symbol of chaos so it's uh and again it's a polemic against that kind of language about their storm god being the creator god it's a it's a rebuttal saying no it's it's God to who, who this uh, to whom this imagery applies, not your not your idols. So, hmm. what's what's weird about the stuff, and again in this book, Leviathan plays a part. So it's it's really interesting, um, but it's 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 inter it's weird in that Leviathan does exist in the Bible, right? Like it's a strange thing that he just jumps out. There's like a whole chapter of Job dedicated to it, um, and then there's nothing else talked about it again, right? Like it's this it's this reference to it, and then it just goes away, kind of like the kind of like the giants. It's like the Bible's like, I mean, it's not like Leviathan matters, right? Anyway, <laughs> they were like, "Excuse me, what is this Leviathan, and where did it come from, and where did it go?" But in Job, but in Job, it's just a, it's just an animal of creation like any other. It's right. Just a, it's just a. Whereas in pagan mythology, it's a it's this cosmic chaos creature that that threatens the well the order of creation, and that a great heroic figure like Baal has to slay. So this guy makes a point that it's Leviathan that's then re reimagined or readapted for revelation right because the set because because leviathan's a seven-headed sea dragon and then in revelation it's a seven-headed dragon so it's almost like leviathan's come back even though we're all aware that leviathan in revelation is a i don't know what the right word is so so let me let me ask this it's a callback to satan at this point, right? Which well, it, it's a kind of it's a kind of sort and, kind of sort and didn't exist in the Old Testament, and now Satan exists in the New Testament, and it's embodying. But, but, but it's kind of a, a description of of the Watchers and the Fallen as well, too, right? So, uh, you've heard it posited that actual seraphim were the type of angels that fell, and they have kind of a serpent face. They got wings. They in fact like six wings. So this whole. Uh, you know, motif of, of, you know, the lizard people and, and, and those types of things comes from the watchers. So if, if there were creatures that did come down 
and do these things, it kind of it's kind of like the uh, uh, you, you know it, it represents something in some of these other myths, but they were actual creatures, you know. And if and if you if you take you know Genesis one and Genesis two and split them in different kind of creation narratives, that you know the. The, the terms we so they you know dinosaurs um old creatures things that were before adam was placed in the garden the, i mean there there, there might have been a, an entire list of animals and creatures and things that that had cataclysms and death and rebirth and and things of that nature the dragon in revelation it's it's actually it's it, it does connect to the to the you know the the chaos creatures of pagan mythology, but more immediately it connects to the four beasts in Daniel, where he he has in Daniel seven he has his, his vision where he has he has the vision of the of the lion with the wings that represents the Babylonian the Babylonian Empire that was their actual sigil like the the gates of Babylon right. has has a winged dragon I mean a winged uh, a winged lion. Um, then it's followed by a bear that's raised up on one side. It has three ribs in its mouth that represents the the, the Median and Persian Empire. That was kind of a that, that was two peoples in one. And then you have the leopard, the four-headed leopard, which represents Alexander, the the Greek, the Macedonian Greek Empire. After he died, his uh, empire was partialed out to four generals. Um, representing the four heads, and then you have the the final beast, which isn't it isn't described in terms of any existing animal. It's just a great, terrifying beast with iron claws and teeth. America, um, maybe uh, <laughs> it, America it, it understood to represent the Roman Empire because it was the fourth empire after um, after the Greek Empire, and then. Uh, Arguments could be made that America is a revived Roman Empire and therefore the beast in Revelation. But then it was after the fourth beast that he had his vision at night. And that in his vision at night, I looked and I there before me as one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. That's another bit of language from pagan mythology. Baal was said to be the one who rides on the rides on the clouds. It's more polemic language to uh, to say, no, it's Yahweh. So, in so the clouds. Are, are you saying there was never a bail? Because I, I think there was. I well, think that you know the you you have these idols and these sacrifices, but if you had these nations that were led by these, uh, I think they're called terrible ones, even throughout the Bible, that that you know they they actually were sacrificing their kids to these beasts and and Nephilim creatures that actually ate. So like Marduk and and Baal and uh, I think there there were creatures that actually existed. So like in what sense? Like were they? Was it a? It's a demigod. It's a it's a it's a creature mm. like that like watchers comes... or fallen sons of yeah. God of some sort. Yeah. Some sort of sons of God. I'm not. I'm not. They're created beings, and also there's there's like language where what like the flood, where God, uh destroys the things that he created and if you want to get legalistic you know he he didn't create all the nephilim the nephilim were created by something else right so there was there was you know antediluvian and post-diluvian 
type Nephilim, which is why the battle had to kept had to continue. And sure. perhaps perhaps there still is. Well, it says so, you right? It says, it says do you remember then do you remember and, the and girl with six later. fingers? Yeah. At Fort Huachuca? Uh yeah, she was in Pensacola too, the blonde girl yeah, in the air. She was really pretty. Yeah, she was beautiful. I but yeah, I had a well, well, I'm telling you that, you know, the angels, you know, they enticed <laughs> these women in because they because they were so beautiful. And and I think it's even mentioned, there's even described of six digits on on, on one of these Nephilim. She was a Nephilim. I don't know. <laughs> Hello. Like, my name I, I is wanna... Inigo Montoya. You killed <laughs> my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> I want to circle back to like what like what makes you think that Bale was it like I, I wanted to find this more like what when you say he existed was he like a like a person who like a historical person who was deified or no, was I, th he, no I, think, I think I think he was an Elohim I think he's a Nephilim he he, he was he was or maybe a, not a Nephilim like I don't I don't know a, that I don't think Nephilim is the right is the right taxonomy to be honest i think he was an elohim i think he was you think son, he was son a, of god he was one of the watchers on the mm -hmm. divine council yes. yeah or like, so the son the son of one of those so maybe a generation back or but these i i think that these these gods quote unquote were were creatures that were bigger and stronger so and... let me let me let's throw a quick let's throw a quick disclaimer for anybody who's joining us new to the show so um let me do this really rough. And Brian, if you want to clean up what I say, um, if if you're joining us for the first time and we're and you hear us throwing the word God around loosely, before you become alarmed, or if you're still here, hopefully, and you haven't turned us off yet, we're using the lowercase G term when we say God. So we're talking about is no more no different than we were talking about, you know, the Egyptian gods, et cetera. So the the premise behind uh the divine council worldview, which is a a point of view that was coined by Dr. Michael Heiser, but it's a, it's not something new and he didn't invent this idea. He kind of coined the terminology um, in Genesis six, when uh, six, four specifically, it talks about watchers that were angels of sorts. There's some type of pantheon of God of the, you know, the, 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 the host of heaven is one of the, phrasings used in the yeah, bible well, a lot the exact wording in genesis 6 is uh, in those days men began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them and the sons of god saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and took of them as wives any of whom they chose then god said that the, then the lord said my spirit will not strive with man forever for he is mortal his days will be 120 years now the nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of god went into the daughters of men and had offspring by them these are the warriors of old the the gaborim the, the men of renown and then it said that then god says uh he, he observes that man's wickedness was great on the earth and his thoughts were only evil all the time and that's when he decided to flood the earth um so that's the exact wording but we're always we're the premise of the divine council worldview is that the book of Enoch um, or first Enoch as it's, as it's called, because there were later ones that came after the, in the late antiquity, early medieval era. Um, it kind of, it, it preserves this, this, this commonly held understanding of the background there that the, these beings called watchers identified as the sons of God, angels, they descended on Mount Hermon and swore a pact to do this. And it kind of expands on it and it explains that it was because of this and their, their corruption of mankind by this, by disseminating 
corrupting uh, forbidden knowledge and also the Nephilim roaming the earth and wreaking havoc. This this is what led to the flood. So sorry to that to that fill in the blanks that you were that I, I had me to hide. I hadn't, I hadn't stopped creating yet. No, it's fine. That was exactly what I was going to say, more or less, without the without the quote. But yeah, so for anybody that's listening, this is what we're talking about right now. We're 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 kind of having a, a free form discussion around some of where it's mythology versus real. Um, because the edges are kind of soft and chewy on the edges around this topic, because the Bible only speaks to very little of this with specificity. And it's very common for a lot of uh, Christian readers. They say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about it. So, you know, I'm not going to get into it. And that's precisely the stuff that we find the most interesting is where it might, you know, there's some room for uh, understanding or analysis or get a little bit of a deeper critical read into that. And then, this is why we're talking about kind of catching us back up to back to the conversation. This is why we're talking about a lot of the ancient Near Eastern mythology that was well understood at the time by biblical writers. And so sometimes it feels as if the writers are kind of talking around a topic because they are. There's there's topics, uh, categories of stories. The entire book of Enoch seems to be well known by biblical writers, and so they'll reference it. Christ references it, right? Like it's talked about without quoting specifically and saying all these things are true and happen within it. So it, it's all worth. I just wanted to take a quick second just to kind of circle back around to make sure anybody that was a, a new or casual listener kind of understood what in the wide world of sports we were talking about when we keep talking about all these gods. Um, and and just to be clear, biblically in the ancient language, they used Elohim. Uh, that's what the Bible tends to use, specifically the Septuagint um, and, and a lot of the earlier books. And that word means God lowercase g, right? So um, it, they use that word is used not in the place of angels more often than not. Um, now, the word angel is used also specifically when they're talking about a messenger, but not all of the other hosts of heaven, right? But that phrasing is used uh, in the Bible and it references the totality of the inhabitants of heaven, which is all of the what we would call angels in loose English. Right. Com, you know, and, common and, language. And Elohim is any kind of spirit being. Mm -hmm. um, Basically not a human, not a mortal. Well, but when Samuel was raised by uh, the witch at Endor um, in Second Samuel, the, the, the story is King Saul um, had rebelled against God. God had replaced him with David. Uh, they were was on the eve of a, his final battle with the Philistines before he and his son were killed. He went to the witch at Endor to because the prophet Samuel had died and he wanted he wanted uh, guidance from Samuel. So he he had a a uh, a medium, a witch, summon him from from the other side, and it says uh, it, it describes him as an Elohim. Is the the point? Um, not that he was a god, but he was a he was a spirit, um, and he's which which of course raises questions about the afterlife we're always talking about how it, the bible is not about dying and going to heaven as a disembodied spirit i hold to that this does introduce a wrinkle interesting but it's 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 uh it's not, not insurmountable and it's maybe a topic for another time but just the point the point here is that an elohim is any kind of spirit being um 
not not necessarily god is called elohim in the singular sense but elohim plural also exist um, right and it's was great language that has no differentiation between the singular and the plural so you have to use context and understand what's right. being written to know which version yeah just like english words like fish or moose or sheep um unfortunately like we, we use none of those to describe supreme deities but when we when we talk about you know salvation and uh you know heavenly and afterlife usually we're we're referring to ourselves as 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 humans so with the with the just you know quick sleep and then you're resurrected i don't think that that applies to like say the nephilim who get no rest right like they're disembodied spirits and and maybe maybe some of these this eastern culture with with you know karma and living multiple lives and soul and inhabiting other bodies maybe that that's uh that that's for that's for them so, so, and, and so not necessarily so there's a, us there's an interesting tangential theory dre that you just i don't know if you just invented but you just brought to mind is it possible that anybody who has visions or memories of pre um <clears throat> of, I, of, of previous existences and that they right. think they've been reincarnated are in fact nephilim and they've forgotten that they were originally Nephilim and that's why their souls can't sleep whenever they die. And they just keep getting put back into bodies again. <laughs> and and you, uh, the guy, Gary Wayne was talking about it. Cause they asked him like, Hey, so are there such things as a good Nephilim? And he said, yeah, I don't know why there wouldn't be like, you get to make a choice whether, whether you were, you know, created this way or, or that way, or you're one of us, you still have a choice. You can, you can follow God or not. And, Though it'd be harder for them, but in, by their nature and their right. hearts and all the, all the things, the, the deck but is stacked you, against them. Or maybe if you came back seventeen times and figured it <laughs> out, right? Like, like, I, I'm trying here. Like, <laughs> so, so you know, you you you're not necessarily still following, you know, uh, what my man Shimi Haza at, at Mount Hermon. You you've you like broken your pack and now you're back with God and. It, is God really a merciful God for all his creation? Or is that just, uh, you know, for Adam's descendants? It's an interesting um, concept. Yeah. It's, you know, all we, all we can do is speculate. I would, I would just, of course, for the, for the just for some background for the listeners, according to the book of Enoch, the, the demons that are being driven out in the, the book of Enoch explains that demons are disembodied Nephilim because mm -hmm. they are, because they're hybrids, because they're half human, half angel. Um, they are, their, their spirits are intrinsically immortal, unlike ours. Um, but they're, but they don't belong in the heavenly realm. They don't, they don't belong that they're, they're bound to the earth. So when they die, their spirit doesn't have anywhere to go. So they seek embodiment in, in, in humans. And, um, so these are the beings that that Jesus was interacting with when when he was driving them out and they're screaming at him are you are you here to torture us before the appointed time and he kept, like hey le <laughs> he was like <laughs> and they're pleading with him not to cast them into the abyss um 
which is in, in the ancient worldview is, is conceived of as, as being geographically below the earth. Like in the book of Enoch, the watchers who rebelled on Mount Hermon, they were, they were put in literal holes in the holes in the ground with boulders that covered them up. And so, uh, and it, it has, that has a lot of parallels to the, uh, the, the Titanomachy um, right. of Greek mythology of the, the gods of Olympus overthrowing the Titans, the earlier generation of gods and locking them in Tartarus um, until the end of history. And then that's how the, that's how and the the last of them was uh, the the dragon Typhon, a a, a hydra, a, a many headed. Now, well, the hydra was Hercules, but the Typhon was similar in that it's a many headed dragon, much like in the Book of Revelation. But um, <clears throat> you know, speaking to the the, the mythological aspect, um, and what's interesting is. So a lot of a lot of this the stuff that that Michael Heiser talks about that makes up the the divine council worldview. He cites a paper called uh, "On the Origin of Watchers." I got it from by Amar Anus. The full name is sorry. "On the Origin of Watchers: A Comparative Study of the Antediluvian Wisdom and Mesopotamian and Jewish Traditions." It's published in 2010. And he he basically explains how uh, uh, this incident in Genesis six is it it's a, a as the Book of Enoch elaborates it's it's a polemic against Babylonian belief that there were these these beings called the Apkalus and through several layers of of translation one of the translations is Watchers. Um, there were these sages who descended from, from heaven and gave, gave all of this forbidden knowledge to, uh, to humanity. And the Babylonians credited their success as an empire to the, to the, the magic and metallurgy and, and secrets of warfare and, and, and other, other secret knowledge that was given to them by the Apkalus and the, the point of uh, Anus's paper is that the what you find in the Bible is kind of a kind of a parody and 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 ridicule of that. What the Babylonians celebrated as as a benefit to to their civilization, the Jews saw as a as a corrupting influence. Now, Amar Anus is not he he's a he's a scholar. He wasn't writing as if he believed any of it. He was just kind of tracing what he regarded to be the 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 cultural in the the cross-pollination of cultures here um and so it, it would be easy to read that and to read the bible in in light of of other ancient near eastern religions and think that it was all just kind of a kind of a local conversation like it would it, it it's it's just a it's it's just a, a an academic point about some commonality between what the Bible teaches and what you find in, in the surrounding cultures. To me, what gets really interesting is when you look at, uh, you know, we talk about that, that Netflix series, ancient apocalypse all the time, but with Graham Hancock, where he, he looks at all of these, these, uh, these other ancient civilizations and uh, these monolithic structures in Indonesia and in uh, Central America and, and elsewhere where, 
and the lore attached to these structures, it has a lot of common elements to what we've been talking about here. Like there's the, uh, the people at the time were uh, there. There was this interaction between humans and these divine beings who gave them knowledge. Um, one of the gods became angered for whatever reason and then flooded the world. And then, like the Great Pyramid of Cholula was constructed as a monument with the help of these giants in order to placate that that god and uh there's another pyramid in in indonesia with it with a similar story it's it's not always the same story but and and the good guys and bad guys are mixed up um you know who were who were seen as beneficial to humanity who is who are the troublemakers and the enemies of mankind that's that's kind of different but you have all of these common elements of divine beings and giants sometimes the the divine beings are different than the giants sometimes they're the same but they're interacting with humans they're bestowing this information um which which makes me think they're all talking there this is something that happened in our in actual history um i don't know that i don't know that i agree with dre that that there there's a there's a spirit being who is called Baal by the other by the other Elohim but um, I don't think I don't they have, called him Baal I don't I, I don't I don't think he was a spirit being I think he was just he was God a demigod and that, 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 that sacrificed people and ate them and was gigantic and, yeah. and ruled the land so <laughs> I mean knowing that knowing that the, the the places were all given to the you know the nations were divided and um they were ruled and then you have the the sumerian text that gives a whole lineage of anunnaki who ruled some of them for a thousand years you know um you so, know the, a, a kingly line then you know that it, it goes to say that, they, that it tells me that there was at least some kind of continuity in different cultural centers that had the same type of influence and since they 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 all sprung up seemingly the same time around the world um and then how easy would it be i mean just if there was if the sun decided to burp tomorrow and knocked out every single piece of electronics and then there was a cataclysm where half of us died we we blasted back to the stone age yeah we we would lose every single bit of technology that we've come up with that has accelerated the last hundred years. So we took thousands of years to get to this point and then a hundred years to get to the point where we are now. And we just keep on advancing. Um, it would take, you know, a week before, before we're back to, to uh, medieval times. Um, Unless we all build giant Faraday cages over our house. <laughs> right. So, so why, especially when you look at it on, when you look at some of those temples and the size of the stones and there had to be some kind of cutting technology, some kind of movement technology and able to create these things that, that we can't even do today. Right. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if they're aliens, but they're definitely not human. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. And yeah. then, and, well, and with that, you know, all of, all of these myths and lore, Maybe they're conflated, but 
it sounds like like that that kind of stuff actually happened. Yeah, I I would I would I would go a step further than to say they were the, the nephilim or you know flesh and blood. I I, I take the the you know the falling action of the tower of babel very literally right and the scattering sure. and the numbering of the of the nations to the sons of god to be very literal um we we should we should i'm not sure that background has been explained yeah, go, go ahead Do you want to go ahead oh okay sure um well in deuteronomy 32 7 through 9 um let me bring it up real quick because I don't, I don't have that. Exact I just, I just had it in front of me. Also, <clears throat> it's very unprofessional. I apologize. Well, I didn't. So this we, didn't know, we, we didn't know we Moses. were going to get there. So, yeah. So in uh, Deuteronomy thirty-two, Mo Moses is kind of given his last, uh, one of his last. Uh, um, discourses to the Israelites before they enter their promised land. He dies. Um, it's the Song of Moses. Part of it says, remember the days of old, consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, and this is a reference to the, the Tower of Babel incident, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, for Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. So this this is kind of the a summary of Genesis uh, one through twelve. Well, so um, and, and so I've got a couple of others that just that tied directly to that, right? So there's that one, and then little just not too long after, uh, actually before. So before that one in Deuteronomy 29, 26, it says they went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Right. So so that one's relevant because it says not allotted to them. So it that's to imply that they were worshiping gods that God, Elohim, that 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 the Elohim had not told them to worship. Right. Then it, it seems like some powerful then, beings were just poaching. Then Daniel 10 10. Okay. Uh 10 through 18. Well, hang, well hold they, on just a second. Let me let me like I think this part bears a little more explanation. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Because the the Tower of Babel, there's a lot of like we talked about how um the Nephilim, they're called the the warriors of old, the Gaborim, the men of renown. Um in the book of Enoch, the leader of the of the the watchers who uh descended there are, the leader is a guy named Shemihaza, which means the face of the name it has the same connotation as men of renown the the, the hebrew for that is enosh hashem which means men of the name Shemihaza means the the face of the name the, the the name uh yeah the face of the name no shem is name the the name of the face but it's the same connotation of fame and renown um, fast forward to Nimrod, who is the founder of the kingdoms of Akkad and Shinar and, and Babel. So would have been the, 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 the tower of Babel project would have been his idea. He's described as a, as a, as, as a Gabor, as a, as a mighty warrior, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Um, and then the, the purpose of the tower of Babel project was so that they are not scattered across the face of the earth, which God had commanded multiply fill the earth and subdue it so they're supposed to scatter they're supposed to multiply 
supply. They're supposed to fill the earth. Um, they're in defiance of that. But in building a, the Tower of Babel, this is understood to be a, the, the, a ziggurat. In fact, the ziggurat of Edamanaki, which is a like a major landmark in uh, in 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 ancient Babylon, this was understood to be the basis for this story. So they're building a ziggurat. Ziggurats are man-made sacred mountains. They 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 see mountains as as sacred because they're meeting points between heaven and earth, which is which is what Mount Hermon was. It was a sacred mountain, held, regarded to be sacred because of this incident in Genesis six where the watchers descended upon it to mingle with humanity. So what that what that boils down to is that the Tower of Babel was an attempt to reinstate the arrangement of Genesis 6. Like they were they were in Genesis 6 the watchers descended and they seduced and corrupted mankind. In Genesis 11 when they tried to build the tower, it was mankind chasing after them, seeking the favor of these gods to because they wanted a, you know, they they looked back to the time before the flood as this time of uh, advanced civilization and technology and, and wisdom, and it was this kind of golden age they wanted to return. Because it was, which there's indication that it was. Um, right. Atlantis, as as Plato described it, um, is is an example of that. This this Atlantis wasn't the name of the city. The city was the capital of of an of an empire called Atlantis, and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could say about that. Look up uh, the the YouTube channel Bright Insights. Their they their whole thing is about how the Rakat structure in uh, in the Sahara. It's called the Eye of the Sahara. They make a they make a pretty interesting case that that actually is the the lost city of Atlantis. And if you if you look at it from Google Maps, just look at it. It looks like a flood swept through what is now the Sahara Desert and wiped away something that was, and it, it's like this big smudge of sand um, that looks like a big wave of water went over uh, went over Northern Africa, and uh, that's where the uh, the the Rakat structure, the Eye of Mauritania, is. It looks just like. How Plato described Atlantis, the whole interlocking but, um, circle, concentric circles, and all that stuff, right? So, but, um, so also the part in Deuteronomy thirty-two where it talks about how God numbered the nations according to the number of the sons of God. It's it's a reference to back to Genesis eleven when he scattered them, mm -hmm. basically because they sought the favor of these of these lesser gods. God gave God gave humanity over. He disinherited humanity giving them over to them mm -hmm. and I, then, I think that's where matt was going yeah that's exactly what i was getting yeah right? i think it's uh, like I, that is that it, it actually <laughs> happened it's not this it's not this like kind of sort of maybe there is a few people but this is so this is going back to the point of this is all linked back to your you asked a question up to to dre about you know do you think bell was bell was real and he was like yeah it, so i go a little further and i just read this recently so in daniel 10 Okay, 10, 10, 10, chapter 10, but down verse 10 through 18 specifically. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I actually hate when people do that. But the point here is the I'm going to just read a couple of little excerpts. So Daniel's uh, dealing with a battle and there's there's been a war that's going on and an angel appears to him. 
And it says, a hand touched me and set me on my hands and knees and said to me, Daniel, you're of great value. Understand the words that I'm about to speak to you. And then Daniel starts shaking. He says, don't be afraid. Um, from the very first day you applied your mind, understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. But then he's going on and he's talking about how, however, the prince of the kingdom of Persia has been opposing me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the leading princes, came to help me because I was left there with the kings of Persia. This goes on. The point of this excerpt is that there are kings and leaders in Persia that are fighting with angels, which is a really strange thing to think about if you think about it in just like because normals. those they were like fisher kings right they were they were priestly kings they were they were gods they exactly right they were either you know some type of fallen watcher a a a lower level elohim of some sort that had empowered and were leading people under the under the auspice of being a human right because there's i i mean this is one of those things where i just go regular people aren't going to do very well fighting against angels unless the people leading the other the people are not are not people right right so what what makes you think so when daniel when the when the angel speaks to daniel and and he says uh you know i was resisted by the prince of persia and nobody helped me uh except the 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 your prince, the the great prince uh, Michael, mm-hmm. um, and he says that the prince, the prince of Persia, and the prince of Greece opposed him. Um, this one doesn't say Greece, but that's fine. It's, I it's think that that isn't that isn't it's a translation. Thing. I don't. Yeah, I don't. It, I'm, it's fine. Um, but he, there is mention of the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece opposing opposing this messenger sent to Daniel. Nobody hated him except uh, the great your your great prince Michael. Um, what makes you think any of the princes discussed there are actually are are like human are on the human level? I, I don't necessarily think any of them are. He, he doesn't. That's the point. That's, that's what, what I'm trying to get at. Saying. I mis- I misunderstood. Yeah, you. I thought my you were- point. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's saying the opposite of that. My, my point is reading this from the DCW lens. Anytime yeah. I hear the word prince or leader or king, I question the humanity of the person of the subject of the of the sentence. Right. My point is the average reader is reading this going, oh, yeah, Prince of Persia. I, I've seen movies about it. There's video games about it. He's a bad dude. He's corn pop. Like, like, of course, he could be a bad dude, but he ain't bad enough to fight an angel. Like, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. So when you start thinking about it in those terms and you're realizing that this time period, there was supernatural activity all over the landscape on both sides of the coin, right? There were angels out doing things. I mean, there was literally a supernatural war that was going on, both from full frontal warfare. There were also demons running around pretending to be humans and currying favor and leading men astray. There was all kinds of wild shit going on. And I I, I mean, they had to drive them out to get to their promised land. Right. They 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 had like the giant wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Moses and Joshua together like killed the last. I think they mentioned that King Og was the last original Nephilim, right? Like, I just uh, read a thing well, that the last supposed it, actual it giant was only killed 700 years ago. 
well but then but then the other giants were lesser they were kind of lesser giants right yeah. the 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 they were shrinking and they were shrinking yeah. in giantness well, so yeah. so it, it's, it so it's interesting to me that, that these say... that these giants would understand that they have to kind of make a stand so they they like laid in wait for you know the israelites to show up so that they can finally dispose of them because they're 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 the link that's that's gonna that's gonna cleanse the earth and all all the atonement stuff. The Messiah is gonna come from from this lineage of people. So it it, it looks as though the giants were kind of laying in wait, and that's and and that's when with the the scouts that looked at the with the Amorites or the the the, Phil, the Philistines and saying, "Hey, these guys are big," and Caleb's like, "Don't worry about it. We're we're good." Well, the the Philistines came later, but they did have you know, Nephilim or, or descendants of Nephilim among them. Goliath obviously is one of them. Um, Og, king of Bashan. It, it, I would, I would agree that it, it's implied that he's one of the last of the, the Rephaim, the descendants of, of uh, like, he's definitely, a, but he's definitely of one of them. Right. Um, well, Nephilim, defendant of the Nephilim. It doesn't, it just, well, first he's, he's King Og of Bashan. Bashan is uh that's the region where Mount Herman where is. Where Herman is, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, it, and he's and, the one with the big bed, right? Right. Yeah. The, the, um, the, the gigantic bed. He's, just, he's described as having this giant iron bed, which Michael Heiser points out. I haven't been able to find this myself. I don't, I'm but, not sure that but I, I agree I with Heiser on this. I don't think Heiser is going to make this up, but he uh he 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 points out that the dimensions of of Og's iron bed are the same dimensions as the sacred bed of Marduk, which is right. which was at the 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 pyramid the well, uh, he, ziggurat of Edemanaki. He but he uh, might have been, been the same size as Marduk, but, but he could have been pulling that from like Ugaritic text or from from Enoch or yeah, Jubilee or I, something. Like Mike Heiser wasn't afraid to go off out of you know from Sola Scriptura to find. Yeah, information. I, I'm not I'm not disputing the accuracy of it. It's just not something that that I've been able to personally verified so i'm i'm just going to quote him and trust yeah. that he sure what he was talking well, even, about e even josephus wrote about about giants and he even mentions that they're still on, on display so that would have been first century like the there's there's large bones in in these giants that were that were fought off in our in, in our antiquity and these bones are still on display today josephus josephus writes that yeah, I, giants were definitely a, a major part of the ancient worldview. Like I, I don't know that uh, Augustus Caesar was was known to collect dragon bones. Um, were they were they like dragons? And, and I, like I don't. I think the distinction is is. Uh, it's a it's a distinction without a difference, but you know, dragons or dinosaurs. Hey, um, hey, Brian, actually, so, this the uh, the King Og's bed. Yeah, it's in Deuteronomy three eleven. Yeah, but it says it was decorated with iron and was nine cubits long and four cubits wide. Yeah. So the, right, right. But Brian, Brian saying that Heiser says that's the same dimensions of Mardok's bed. Oh, you don't know about Mardok's measurements. Right. Gotcha. Oh, I thought right. you didn't know right. about the measurements of of Og's bed. No, he yeah. he he knew Og's, but then Heiser claims like, well, got yeah, that's the same as, as the god Marduk. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right. And, and Marduk, of course, being 
Marduk was the storm god, was the chief god of the, the Babylonian pantheon, a, a uh, storm god. He has a lot of parallels to Baal, to Indra in Hinduism, mm -hmm. Zeus, Thor. Um, so like we've kind of talked about this before, like when you, when we've talked about whether the whether the god the pagan gods were real and in what sense they were real. Mm -hmm. Um like like the prince of Greece is definitely in Daniel 10, where he talks about the prince of Greece, the prince of Persia, the the great prince Michael, he is talking about the as I understand it, he's talking about the divine council that that appears in uh Psalm, Psalm 82, where it talks about how God takes his place in the, the great assembly. He presides over the gods. He tells them that they're, uh, he condemns them for being corrupt, for favoring the uh, the mighty against the weak. And for so uh, why would Marduk not be one of them? Well, especially if he's condemned. Right. But the, uh, my point is that, um, yeah, the, and these gods are understood to be territorial. Like each, uh, right. each each nation had their god, and he was god over that that territory of land. Greece had its prince. In Greece, they worship Zeus as the chief god. Um, it was, but he doesn't call the prince of Greece Zeus. It it might be that the prince of Greece, that, who was on the divine council, maybe he. He masqueraded as 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 a god who they called Zeus. Sure, but but if you but if you if you trace these these stories, like you have all these common elements, like you you have these recurring motifs across religions, like where Indra and Marduk and Baal, Zeus, Thor, they they kind of have the same story told about them of them right. doing epic battle with with a, the chaos dragon and um becoming the creator so which which would suggest that this is maybe the same story so does or that mean that it, i mean it could be as simple as while they had a certain ability and free latitude to impersonate and misrepresent themselves they all drew a line at actually restating the actual creation story or you know or what I mean? Was, like, like was, maybe there's some, there's some level of of honor, or they knew if they went one step too far, they would get stopped. But they knew there was a line of a, a level of line that would be tolerated, because, and and you have to also like so in Jubilees. Here's a quote from Jubilees fifteen thirty one. There are many nations and many people, and they all belong to him, but over all of them, he caused spirits to rule so that they might lead them astray from following him. But over Israel, he did not cause any angel or spirit to rule because he alone is their ruler and he will protect them. It's, it's almost like when he scattered after Babel, he made a certain allowance for misrepresentation to occur. Because they tried so hard to work against him, well, or they he, fought he, each he other. Gave, he gave them over to their own devices. That's that's uh, what yeah, I'm saying. They, He's they, like, oh, y'all want who, this? And they and they started, you know, struggling for their own borders and their mm -hmm. own fighting. Right, and... but like, I I don't I don't have a problem if we think of the Prince of Greece as being, you know, if calling him Zeus. Um, but I, I think it's at the same time I would be I I wouldn't. I wouldn't think of 
you know, the, the story of Zeus over slaying the, the dragon Typhon and being the, uh, like there's, you know, there's, there's another, like the story of uh, Prometheus. Um, yep. Prometheus was, was the, one of the gods of Olympus who uh, rebelled against, against Zeus by giving fire to man. He's, and he's, he's depicted as kind of a hero. But he built. He bears parallels to uh, to the devil, to uh, to okay. to the serpent tempting. Uh, you know. So so are we going to take this story about Zeus and Prometheus being at odds at, as being? Uh, are the is that a story about actual divine beings or is it an echo of this earlier story? Because like in uh, in the Bible, Baal is identified with Satan. Um, by the time of the New Testament, they're they're outright calling the devil Beelzebub, recognizing that uh, like the you know Baal is not a that that's not the proper name of of this being. That's they're what what they're worshiping as the storm god and creator god is actually the devil leading them astray. And given the Given the parallels between uh, Baal, Thor, Zeus, Indra, all, you know, basically every storm god, it seems like every pagan, every pagan religion has a storm god that they exalt to the status of creator god. The only the exceptions would be that prove the to prove the rule would be Egypt because uh, they used irrigation. They they were dependent more on irrigation from the Nile than on seasonal rainfall, and Japan. Um, because they're an island nation and they're they get they get rain all the time they don't really get droughts in japan at least not 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 enough that they would build a religion around uh placating their storm god to prevent it unlike every everywhere else in the world dependent on seasonal rainfall but it, it you know so there there's kind of a line between you know how did how did circumstances and human imagination create these stories and how much of it is actual divine beings deceiving them um yes yes and yes right like it could be all at the I same mean, time like, yeah, it, I mean, there doesn't have to be a straight line right and there doesn't have to be some kind of like well we don't have an, an allocation for this guy over here in this one so it must not be it could have just been it didn't catch on like, but if the sons of God or the host of heaven is is described as ten thousand times ten thousand or in incountable, and then they and then they talk about a third of them like rebelled, then there would be a bunch of these spirits that came, and the and the ones the watchers that did did these bad deeds that were put away, and the rest of them act like meatloaf, like I would do anything, but I won't do that. And I think they were clever enough to 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 understand that I need to make the humans do these terrible things and blaspheme against God because I know better because I just saw my fathers just get you know put into the abyss forever until until well, they come out in the end of times. I, but I, I want to push back on your on your math for a second, Dre. I I think if I remember the the timelines, there's two separate instances of of heavenly hosts leaving so the first chunk with the watchers i want to say is never i, I agree with you and I, I i know where you're going i just think that they're of the same same group 
not, they, they came down after because they saw the mistake. Yeah, they were the probably first all like related they're, or they were yeah, buddies or part whatever. Of, they're part of the same army. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. But but I think that first that first trunch was only like 70. I think it was 200. That, was it 200? I thought they well, numbered were, it at 70 because they well, give a number are, to the nations. In yep. the book of Enoch, there are there are 200 uh, watchers who just descend on Mount Hermon. And they're the ones um, that make the pact is 200. Right. No, I, I was talking led, about... Led by Sammy Hazel. I was but talking about the... But you were talking, talking about, about the, the Babel. Right. The Babel. The but Babel then instance was their cast, Yeah, they're cast into the abyss, but then, yeah, he divided the nations according to the number of the sons of God. So there aren't, there aren't tens of thousands upon thousands of nations. Well, there's not... At, there's, at the time. And this is after... In, I think there are like 72 nations according I think there, to I thought there uh, was 70. That's just the number that stuck in my head. So you so you think there's only 70 demons for lack of a better term no, they no. they came I, No, I no, 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 no. So so hang on. So there's two different there's two different math things going on, right? So what I I I'm, I'm just this is my head and I don't know sure. if there's any 200 came down from Herman, right? And then they got locked away not before they made Nephilim. So right. that number is multiplicative. Those demons that were being created were happening at the point of union, right? So if 200 right. demons took 200 women, they might have had more than one Nephilim each. Yeah, yeah. They... Right? And then there's nothing, we've, we get no discussion about Nephilim, about second generation Nephilim, right? Did Nephilim take other women? But you, but you have to think that there are right. because they're, because they start shrinking and they, you know, right. post post alluvian and right right well and then the, uh and the then there's and, we, and we and we still have them today well, <laughs> well let's, let's the, the merovingians the, well let's the, back up a little bit um the the first generation of nephilim that were fathered from the pact of mount Hermon, those were destroyed in the flood they, those they, the, those were those were gone um but there's a second generation like the but then giants start showing up again right. um by the time the the israelites are entering the promised land which of course raises questions where do they come from um and i've, I've we've we've talked about this on the on the show before I've, i actually wrote heiser a question and asked him about this because he he deals with the question in i think reversing herman but he lists a series of options one of which is that they repeated the behaviors that led to the first generation of Nephilim, but he kind of, he doesn't really, to my best knowledge, Heiser never made the connection between the Tower of Babel and Mount Hermon. Like he does, like he never explicitly said the Tower of Babel is a repetition oh, of Mount Hermon. Um, I kind of thought he was saying that. But then I went back and reviewed it and realized he wasn't. And I and I realized that because he, in his list of options for where the new Nephilim came from, he doesn't really offer, to me, I think it's obvious because the, they repeated the behavior. The sacred bed of Marduk um, was... Uh, Gary Wayne also mentions that Sodom and Gomorrah might have been another location where, where that happened again. Seems on brand, yeah. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um yeah let but, me in um, so, let us in <laughs> so basically they repeated the behaviors that but they're but the according to deuteronomy they the nations were divided according to the numbers of the sons of god and the nations that they, they they had a fixed number of nations in mind 
when they wrote that that was based on Genesis, uh, Genesis, the table of nations from Genesis 10, which there were 70 or 72, I don't remember exactly. But so, um, there should be 70 members on the sons of God on the divine council who in turn became corrupt and apparently repeated the behaviors of the first generation of watchers, um, which led to more Nephilim. And so just like going sure. back to the, the, the question of was Baal, was Baal real, was Zeus real? I, the reason I'm hesitant to, to let that go, like, I don't, like, I don't think it's a big deal if you think of, you know, the, uh, the, the Babylonian, the Prince of Babylon as being named Marduk. Um, I don't think that's a big deal, but I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to leave the, I don't want to agree to that as if to say these stories from pagan mythology are, are, are true. Um, the, there's, there's a, there are kind of echoes of, of truth in them, but I, what I think is so cool about, you know, the Bible being read in kind of a, as, as a polemic against this ancient Near Eastern literature is it kind of gives you a model to follow. Like, like if we believe, if we believe Jesus rose from the dead, um, which he did, that, that, that vindicates him as the Messiah and it validates the overall biblical narrative that foretold him, which means the Bible is our, that that's our standard. That's, that's what we take to be the truth. But we, we understand what it's saying. We understand the truths that it's conveying in light of this conversation in the ancient Near East. Like it's not we can't just read it on its own without taking into account the broader cultural conversation that's being had. So we can understand what was happening in Genesis six in light of what we've, what we've now learned only in the past like hundred years from uh, the Enuma Elish, the inscriptions in, uh, in, in Baghdad and Babylon and, and, and just all the other stuff we've learned about the ancient Near East that tells us about the uh, Kalus and and like what the, what this is a polemic against. That's kind of a model for how do we apply this elsewhere. Like, because the Babylonian story isn't. We don't take the Babylonians' version of what what the Kalus were and what they did as literal. We take that as kind of a reflection, as an echo of what. Genesis six talks about like they weren't they weren't here to so, help the way the Babylonians. Well, well, I mean, but but we also say that that wasn't help, right? Because we we had we had a whole episode of of Cain and his line and all the things he learned from things that he he wasn't supposed to learn, right? Which is which kind of made him, you know, the guy that created the first city because he learned from the sons of God all these all these traits. So why wouldn't the Abkalu teach the Babylonians these things so that they'd be really good at war and conquer other nations? Yeah, I, why? I why that wouldn't they, that? Why wouldn't that be true? Like, I, 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 agree I think I think that it is. I don't. I don't think that we're saying anything different. I don't know. I don't know if our well, tone isn't right for you, or yeah, I don't. If there's I, a, I keep it, listening to everything that Brian's saying, and he and he and sounds like, like that's he's what like, we said. There isn't a well, way that I agree with you, and then he says a whole bunch of words and basically agrees, and then we're like, that's well, what I said. I'm agreeing with you with qualifications is 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 all. Um I I just don't well, I don't I don't know those qualifications are necessary yeah, because well, I think we agree with those qualifications. All right, I guess we're I guess we can tie it up with 
can wrap this up then we, we agree on everything <laughs> It's there's there's more of these gods. It's fun, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this stuff goes on and on and on. Because, like I said, just hitting that little thing in um, wh where was I? Uh, that verse that I hit talking about the, the 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 prince of Persia and all of that. I had never read that. Daniel verse. ten. Yeah, Daniel ten. Like that's a wacky thing to read, to read it with the understanding that. An angel's talking about the fact that he's struggling fighting some he needs help. army. He's like, Daniel, bruh, it's tough out there for a G. Like, <laughs> you know, and you don't think about that in these terms because you're like, I mean, a bunch of angels would just wipe out a human, you know, army of humans with no problem because they weren't an army of humans, right? Like, there's just so many things that are buried in the Bible that you don't necessarily notice if you're reading it with you know it's it's that whole thing about so, your your bias as you're going in to read something and what you're expecting to read versus what you actually read so and what's really funny assuming is, they read it well that's but that's a whole different thing right but like right, right. When, I, when i hit daniel 10 it's this author in this book and it's it's i'm in his footnotes and he's talking yeah. about these things and he makes it a throwaway he's like the these these angel you know these fallen angels were doing battle with gabriel and michael is how he says it he just goes daniel 10 and i'm like the hell are you talking about so i go and look it up and i have to read it and i'm like reading it i'm like dude that's nested in there it's not like it's just overt that there was this angelic warfare that was happening in real time while humans are running around and it's like totally unbeknownst to the humans and Daniel wouldn't have known about it if the angel hadn't gone and told him about it. Right? Like well, this angel showed up to tell him, man, I have these rough battles out here with these with these evil angels. Daniel wouldn't have known about that particular battle. Right. But it seems like that you know, every angel knew he, here, he would know what he was talking about. Right. right. Like it wasn't he's like a, he's aware yeah, of this. Yeah, background. Daniel didn't go. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's like, oh man, sorry. Glad Michael was there to back you up, dog. <laughs> right. And this this ties back to our conversation uh, a couple weeks ago about what what did Jesus teach? Um, people people read it with that confirmation bias of he's always telling us how to go go to heaven when we die. Um, well, no, he's talking about something entirely different. That's that's entirely foreign to anything his listeners would have been thinking. Um, but we read it with that confirmation bias. And then if we ever do go back and read the Old Testament, we, you know, we kind of gloss stuff like that over. And as. Hey, hey Brian, as, I'm not going to take this conversation there because it doesn't fit where we are. But when we hit stop, I'm going to drag you back. This boy's got a whole page that explains why Jesus said what he said to Nicodemus and what he meant. Oh, in that's, Matthew 22. that's so good. That's, you know, uh. All right. I, I always wonder. Um, so so David was given five smooth stones, right? Or was it four? He picked them out. He but he but he he picked them out not not because he thought he was going to miss, but because Goliath had brothers. Yeah. Right. So it, it's it's curious to me. Like he cuts Goliath's head off, and then like his brothers just quit. Like did they run away. Like what what happened? What happened to those guys? They, they, didn't, they, didn't know he, they didn't know David could drop bombs like that. They, they probably said, never okay. saw anything like that before. And they just like, fuck it, I'm out. Like, in today's the first time I I noticed that David had his own mighty warriors, which which you know led to the question: Are there good Nephilim? 
Oh, because because they called his guys Gibberum. Gibberum, yeah. right? So and beans that they knew that they were going to be in battle with a bunch of giants over there with the Amorites. They were they were that, they were about that life. So like, well, I'm I'm going to need an army myself to come to come wreck some stuff and. Mm-hmm. uh and he, he brought his own his own 30 was it 37 35 37 men yeah. they came they, they fought with him and and those those are also giants maybe it, it or were they all just badasses but no they they use the, the Giborim well, doesn't necessarily mean nephilim that's just a description but it doesn't mean nephilim. that it doesn't well it, it just means mighty warriors it's and special yeah. like, special forces. Yeah, like they're they're described in Genesis six. They described the Nephilim as mighty warriors. It doesn't right. mean all mighty warriors are Nephilim. Right. It, it, basically, the the, the Nephilim be, were were Gibberim because they were Nephilim. Right. David's I, dudes were, were. I don't know, were, man. I think I think when we start because, talking about just because they were Gibberim. I I don't know. I, it's kind of like you know you're I, you're you're fighting giants. So I, I and look they're, at they're it second, like this. third generation giants. They're only eleven foot tall and it, not forty. It's it's, it's right. like it's like in the Marvel universe, right? All of the Avengers have magical powers, except the Punisher. He he was he, he's, he's a, he's a, a eagle superhero. open anchor. That's his. He's a superhero power. just because he was a marine. He was a gibberum. That's 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 just... the powers he brought to the table. <laughs> I mean, Hawkeye didn't have any powers. Hawkeye was just a gibberum, right? There's just some dudes that are just. Well, I don't like your version. They're him. Fuck off. They 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 were them. They were yeah. all Davids. Yeah, they were all. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be the through line is that they they def, they were God's people defeated giants because of their faith in God, not because they were themselves giants. Eh, well, that's boring. That's where the whole concept of giant killer Sorry. comes in. Being right, a yeah. giant killer is cooler than just being another giant. I guess. Yeah. Dre Dre's just disappointed. Sorry, he was hoping for I mean, a secret I, line of 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 good giants. Like I, <laughs> just, just my my army of giants coming with me. Like, hey. I want to I want to give you this. I wish I could. I just I I know I can see how much it means to you. There's just no there's no proof, but there's no proof it isn't. So, all right. Yes, I, 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 feel, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like the only reason to say that's not what it is is at some point they would have used they would have made reference to the fact that they were big also. And and I think that's why it makes it more amazing is that little regular sized dudes were able to kill giants. I mean, if there were, I mean, if uh, and this could be true too because you know maybe maybe there's only four giants. It wasn't they weren't fighting a whole army of giants. Maybe right. he had sisters and they right. were like really they were really fearsome. <laughs> It's kind of like so, uh, what was that? That I don't believe that. I'm kidding. At the wall in uh, you didn't watch it, Dre. You never watched um, the Song of Fire and Ice, did you? Game you of Thrones. Game of Thrones. No. So they at one point they roll up with like two giants. You know what I mean? And it's a big deal, but they handle it because you know they've got weaponry and whatever, and same kind of deal. Kind of like in 300 when the giants come rolling up. Yeah. With the, with the Persian army. Yeah. Which is kind of cute. Like now that I see this through the through the DCW lens, mm-hmm. Persia's is bringing bringing giants. Yeah, and my man kept calling himself a god king, and he was a little bigger than everybody else. And right, like, he's like immortals, huh? They, let's put him, the, let's put him in, to the test. In the Bible, Xerxes was a he was a he was a solid dude. He was all right. 
Oh yeah. But not in the 300. Yeah. He wasn't yeah, a he solid was... dude to the Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And he, he wasn't in the Bible. It's not a, like a seven foot tall Brazilian drag queen either. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's boring. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I thought the Bible was cool. I don't know. Until you heard that <laughs> Xerxes wasn't a wasn't a tranny. <laughs> you will find I am kind. I might dress up as Xerxes for Halloween. I don't. I don't think you should do it. You don't think so? I mean, I are you going to go historic? Are you going to go historically accurate or three hundred? I'm uh, going three hundred. All right. It's just my excuse to take my hey, shirt off because hey, I live in California your... where it's warm enough I can do that. So, so lot, lots, right. of, lots of eye makeup, pierce your nipples. Lots... I'm not piercing my nipples, but you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of arm, it, then go arm clamps it, and bracelets and, uh, you know, a lot of eye makeup. There was, we talked about the 300 and we're changing gears. I was watching this. Uh, they were doing a, you know, breaking down the scenes in some different movies and that, that sequence in the 300 that we all love, you know, this is Sparta kick, but the, the cool part of the movie of that sequence, and this is one of my favorite movies, by the way, um, is right before he does that, right before Leonidas Spartan kicks that dude into the, into the hole. The well, he looks at his wife right now. Yeah, so Cause he's like, you know what I'm about to do? And she gives him the nod, like, yep. And, and the way the guy describes it, he goes, it's not that it was a cool scene. He's like, hey, honey, I'm about to kill this guy. He looks at her and basically says, I'm about to dedicate us to war with these people. And we may yeah. all die. And she says, I know. And I expect that from you because you're the king of Sparta. He was, he was leaning on her counsel. Yeah. But, 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 that, but that nigga did disrespect me. Right. Sir. Right. <laughs> so, so but it was just, I, I, love, I love that movie. Because I love that scene, and then I love the scene when she says goodbye to him when he's leaving. Yeah, right? like, like that's the most like emotion. One of it's maybe one of the most singularly <clears throat> emotional sequences in any movie I watch, and it happens every single time I watch it. Right, the whole come back with your shield or on it kind of thing, and it's just it's so it's first of all it's so we we we've, we've been using this phrase a lot here lately, but it's so on brand for that place that period that moment right and he she could have easily said don't do it he'd have been like all right, <laughs> she, right. He, he would have been like whoop like the dude in uh, princess bride when he's like sit and the guy just like swoops his robe and just plops down he's like okay <laughs> right like he didn't want to go to war and die he knew he wasn't coming back um and that's i think that's a really anyway that's a unnecessary how she was when he was gone like she handled business, right? Because she handles business, yeah. Because that's what that's what yeah. the queen does. To in, to include, uh, uh, I don't want to say accepting, but tolerating a rape and not acting on it until it was time to act on it, right? right? Like all the way through that, like. So she was wise as well. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, there was a there, there's a lot to unpack in a movie that was kind of designed just to be a visual. Uh, slugfest and it was that also <laughs> right i think it's a good like memorial to a like an actual event in history mm -hmm. yeah but it like i just i just you know we should go into it with that understanding it's 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 not meant to be a history lesson it's meant to be a 
kind An of homage. A, kind of a monument. Yeah. Because the Spartans were kind of monsters. They were they were a slave state. Like they were not they like were they were not I mean they, uh, they were technically a slave state, but that it, to call them a slave state is not quite as nearly as similar as like pre antebellum America. It wasn't quite it, that kind of situation. It was it was pretty bad. Like that the actual Spartan citizens were full time warriors, which meant they had like an entire like which means they didn't have time to farm. Yeah, which they, means yeah, they didn't they have time to so or build. So so, or... so I, I guess I'd ask what's your what's your point of reference? So I read the book the the, the hot the the gates of fire. The hot um, gates. Well, no, the book's the title is the gates of fire. Um, okay. It was written by uh, Stephen Pressfield. And Stephen Pressfield, by the way, for anybody listening, if you listen to us, you'd probably really enjoy Stephen Pressfield. You too, Brian, you would adore Stephen Pressfield. Dre, it's all on audiobooks. He only <laughs> he funny. only writes he only writes military historical fiction. Okay, cool. so he he writes books about uh, the the Peloponnesian War, obviously this war. Um, he writes war. He he writes writes one about Rommel. Um, Rommel, he, the uh, the Nazi tank guy. Yeah, and and that one's called uh, <clears throat> Killing Rommel. I think is what it's called. But it's written about this. There was a special ops unit, essentially. Basically, the U.S. knew they couldn't beat Rommel, or the Allies knew they couldn't beat Rommel in a straight war, so they sent an SAS team to go assassinate him instead. So the stories about this team trying to go kill Rommel behind the scenes, um, that's what the mm. whole book's about. But he he takes these pieces of history and he writes them in a first person way that makes it really cool. So his book, The The Gates of Fire, it was being passed around from the uh, the special ops community as like a must read. This is back in '97. Mm. And so my brother, John, had been playing around with the RRT guys in uh, a second radio. And so they were all reading the book. And it was on the commandant's reading list and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So he, he, he gives me a copy. And he's like, hey, this book's being passed around. You probably would dig it. And I actually read it while my son was being born. So the week that I was in the hospital, while Carrie was having Austin, I was reading this book. The way the book starts, spoiler alert for everybody that doesn't know, everybody dies at Thermopylae. So the book starts as soon as the battle ends. Like you open the book and it's like everybody's dead. Xerxes wants to know why they didn't take his multiple offers to surrender because he gave them awesome terms. He gave them better terms than he'd ever given anybody else and they never accepted. So he tells his people, you find me somebody who's still alive. I want to talk to them. I need them. I need to have this conversation. They find one dude that's not quite dead. <laughs> they they pull him out and they put him in a tent and they spend months bringing him back to life. And they finally get him to where he can stand in front of Xerxes and they take him there. And Xerxes is like, Spartan, tell me your story. And the first words out of the man's mouth are, "My, you know, Lord, I am not a Spartan. I would never pretend to tell you what goes on in the heart of a Spartan. All I can do is tell you my story. And that's how the book starts. Hmm. It's... And 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 without this dude giving, dies, he's not even a Spartan. I mean, so, this dude lives. He's so like, without giving too much away, the way his story starts is he's from another city state. It had fallen, 
And without a city-state, you had no citizenry, to Brian's point. And so he ends up in Sparta as a slave, as a nobody. He has no he has no city. And so he picks up as a slave to go work for the Spartans. And so he, he tells the whole story about him moving through the camp and watching the different Spartans train and everything. So the whole story is first person through the eyes of a slave. And, and the reason I... Anyway, I don't want I don't want I don't want to dirty this book. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my top five favorite books I've ever read. So I'm not going to I'm not going to dirty any more of it, but it's it's a really neat book and it's real heavy in their training, like how they they're agagi and and all of that and like what happens yeah. and how they how they live and how they think and how they act and then how they went to war and then why he was still there. <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff, but it's it's a pretty cool story. It doesn't paint a, a, an entirely evil picture. Now they are they do have slaves, no question, um, but it's definitely not the same kind of vision as you would have of like like I said like you know like eighteen hundreds America. It, um, mm. Anyway, I see the Spartan. The Spartans are a lot like samurai. Like we have this this like really romanticized view of them as these sort of ideal models of warrior virtue and it's you know they they have that reputation for a reason but it's all but it also like there's also real life to consider oh yeah for sure i mean i are you so you sound like the people who live in oceanside where they, the marines marines have this warrior <laughs> spirit lore yeah. but but i know the real one that guy didn't even tip me very well at olive garden so. i thought about mentioning <laughs> that but i figured uh the irony was just over, just that wouldn't go the irony over well. Around. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think <laughs> you said samurai, we, marines. We, we romanticize them because we, it's a game respect game kind of thing, right? Like the yes. people that romanticize them are the modern day warriors, and who else are we going to look to except the most well regarded and most successful of the previous warrior generations, right? Well, samurai, they really never they, they never really fought anybody besides each other for the most part. That's like true. they 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 drove off the Mongols, but that was largely because of weather. Um in their know, in, in their in their mind it was the gods. So yeah. Well yeah, it was the kamikaze, <laughs> the divine wind. Yeah. Um, but they if if that typhoon hadn't come in, uh there'd be no Japan. Japan like they would be like uh you know, lesser Mongolia. Um, I'd, I'd be a little thicker uh, built. I, I can all I all I can see in my head is uh is Doctor Strange's buddy. That's yeah. long. Because yeah, yeah. he played because uh, he played with Marco Polo. Uh-huh. And like, and he was awesome, wasn't he? Everybody he was talks. That. Everybody talks about Firefly as the series that ended too abruptly. I need Marco Polo to continue. Oh. I knew that it ended abruptly, and it still pissed me off. I didn't because I watched it way after. I, I I watched it way after, but I don't look ahead, so I don't really know what's oh. going on. So I'm just watching this show, and I'm like, "Wait, what the hell?" <laughs> I was heartbroken. That was That's a, a great, great show. It was a yeah. great show. And then uh, the the video game uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Mm-hmm. It it's you got you guys know about it. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, it's about the it's about the Mongol invasion of Japan, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's it's 
it deals with the whole like history of it pretty brilliantly. Like they kind of acknowledge and play to the, the, the romanticism of the samurai all the while, like the, like the undertone of the story is that, but it's actually BS. And it, it's like, this, this is the, the, you know, here's, here's, they, they kind of give you what you want. If you're coming to a samurai game, wanting to play a samurai and enjoy well, Why would they, why would they, why would they have you pay 60 bucks to shit all over your, your heart and soul? If that doesn't make well, any sense. But this, but the way the story goes, it kind of like the, the main conflict is between like, he, he's called the ghost of Tsushima because he adopts what are, you know, in the story are regarded to be uh, unworthy tactics of a samurai. Like he's, he's doing assassinations and using stealth and he basically invents ninjutsu. Like he, like the suggestion is that this is where, this is where the first ninja came from. It was this samurai, but it, it's all, it's kind of with the wink, like kind of acknowledging that look, the, that this wasn't how the samurai were, especially in this era. That's the mythology that grew out of the Tokugawa era when they, when they had, they, they had, the samurai had become a fixed class that were kind of kind of like the Spartans living on the backs of the rest of society so they could be full-time samurai, but they weren't like the, their civil wars were over. They weren't really at war with anybody. So they had this long period where the samurai had to kind of, they, they created this culture around themselves where they kind of justified the fact that they're, they have all this privilege and they don't really contribute anything besides you know their own recreational art that's where you get this this uh philosophy of the bushido that they kind of project back on you know sam no samurai will ever surrender and or use such and such tactics but they surrender all the time they they use dirty tactics all the time they um, uh they lost the eye of the tiger as soon as <laughs> tom cruise came in and just whooped that ass did. i mean they did I mean, Tom Cruise, the greatest samurai ever. So how great could Dakota Bushido be? I, I mean, but then again, Tom Cruise, the greatest everything ever. So it's true, yeah. which which is really kind of a ripoff of Shogun, the the uh, James Clavel novel that was adapted into a miniseries. I'm, I'm looking and, forward to the, to the new version coming out next yeah, month, next which year. was based on a true story of uh, of Tom Cruise, of William Adams, oh. who uh <laughs> He uh, he was a an English he was an English uh, pilot and a on a for a Dutch merchant fleet that uh, they were trying to go to the New World but they got uh, waylaid by by the Spanish and they wound up uh, barely making it to Japan where he became a retainer to uh, Tokugawa Ieyasu the, the you know the uh, the first the the first shogun and the namesake of the Tokugawa era but uh you know i had a it's it's funny how I, I you know this episode is about mythology and and how the uh the the true story that we find in the bible relates to it but it, it's kind of it's funny that we wound up here because like i you know growing up in the 80s i idolized samurai and ninja and i trained in japanese martial arts of all kinds and um had just i had this kind of this romanticized view that i took very seriously while i wasn't taught any real history in school um i became a christian i kind of became interested in world history i, I kind of abandoned all that in favor of uh you know i was basically a buddhist from from all of my uh 
my martial arts training and my my fascination with Eastern culture, which I abandoned when I became a Christian, but ha- like learning more about it, it's uh, it just my the actual like the the actual history of it has kind of cured me of that romanticism. Like they, if it hadn't been for uh, the American Commodore Matthew Perry forcing them to to modernize, they probably would have been conquered by the Chinese um, or somebody else or some, some other Western power would have taken over and forced them to, to, you know, bend to their ways. At the end of the day, I mean, it's, if we were to, you know, it's almost like you, uh, we were, we were told by one uh, general Flynn that all, all dynasties come to an end, right? It's just a matter of time. I mean, if I never went to first radio battalion, I wouldn't know that Marines were pussies. So, uh... <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I love you guys. But you too, I mean, take, I that, mean... take that, Gunny Bundy. Oh, is he, so... is he a first radio guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Woof. <laughs> so, did we, uh, did, did we, uh, cover all the bases on the myth? Mythology thing we, we probably didn't but we at least we at least got in there and poked around a little bit and it'll come up again no doubt up. oh yeah for sure it, I, i'm sure it will. i would just reiterate that like the master key like to anybody listening who hasn't watched ancient apocalypse watch it um but also like read read heiser stuff um reversing herman uh unseen realm and kind of get a sense for how how the Bible interacts with ancient Near Eastern culture, kind of what the conversation is. And that that makes for a pretty good uh, kind of model for interpreting other mythologies around the world. And like all of these elements, they they repeat themselves. They show up all over the place. And you, you really can't, you know, it's hard to explain how that's the case if there isn't some kernel of truth at, at the bottom of it but uh so that sums up all of my thoughts on the topic and uh don't let your kids grow up to be samurai mamas don't let your kids yeah, grow some up right. to be samurai it, uh, sushi But read this book, everybody. Go check this new author out if you want a fun read about on the same topic. Stude right here. It's fun, fun, fun read. Right on. Right on. And it's only you know 300 pages. 300 oh, is that it? Pages. Yeah. It's not a it's <laughs> I mean, it's big, so it's not super thick, right? It's like, you know, it's not tiny print. You're not reading Atlas Shrugged or something. It's it's readable. I read this on two flights, like to and from wherever I just went. Oh, right on. So, hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. And, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and uh, stay enlightened, stay curious, and we'll see you next week. God bless.